Hello and welcome to the Getting Tabled Holiday Special. If you don't know why we're calling that, you need to hand in your geek and nerd card right away. So, the holiday special is here this year for a couple of reasons. Our recording was going to be dropping on Christmas Day for George and for Major Sox, so neither of them were available, and it would have been Boxing Day for me. Now, whilst I could have done that, I wasn't overly keen on doing an episode by myself again. So, here we are. We will leave Solo Night for another night. Instead, we're doing a recap of the year. We're going to go through our favourite stories from the year, some of our highlights, some of our lowlights. Most of these have been specifically chosen by the people that introduced them. And we've got a couple of suggestions from the audience as well. And we're going to start with Major Socks, who was talking about a game that he had received. So kind of a recap in my thoughts of what I was most looking forward to over the last year um, that we've been doing this and talking about various stuff. Um, one of the stuff that I was really uh, looking forward to getting and backed on Kickstarter, that was uh, Company Heroes, the board game. Captain Sox, I can see stuff on your bed that you're just dying to talk about and you've never spoken about this before. Please tell us what this game is. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> So if, if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, you've been hearing that I've been waiting for my Company Heroes uh, Kickstarter that I backed last year, early, mid-year sometime. Uh, it finally showed up the day after we recorded our, our episode 50. So very happy about that. Uh, as you can see, it's spread out uh, all over. It was, uh, it's, the game was by Bad Company or Bad Crow Games, and they if you've played the video game company heroes they did a very good job at adapting it to the board game tabletop scenario and i just want to show off some of the pieces that i got so this is the cathedral that i got i love the comes in two halves yeah it is modular yep even so to the fact that the tower becomes ruined if you destroy it or whatnot locked up the side uh so they had buildings to begin with. Uh, this is one of the buildings that they had to the point where they have little infantry trays that you can stack on the rooftops. But then in the feedback that they got from some of the the backers, they hit they, the back of it slides out. So you can do a kind of a fog of war setup and in infantry. Ooh. Inside the building so that if you're doesn't know he's there he's gone they even have these little bunkers that have you can have different uh artillery pieces or motors or whatnot I love um that. and then on the board themselves they have these little flag posts for all your capture points and they trade off to different colors i got blue flags or red flags whatnot so say that's red not blue <laughs> well this is red I have blue ones coming. Uh, they didn't. I got two bags of the red flags, so they're gonna be sending me a bag of the red, of blue ones. But so, so, so technically, technically, you could have a game of company, company of heroes, red versus blue edition. Yes, you, yes, you could. 
Yes, you could. Exactly. Even more and... so if you prank the minis. Yeah. Sheila! Yeah. So all the... I got the four-player pack, and that's what the, the pieces came in. They came in a tray like that, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, straight out of the box, they had that in their, their little own plastic unit trays. So... so, so... Quick question there, Socks. Is, is this, are these malls you have to assemble and paint, or just malls you have to paint? So they are primed straight out of the box. Well, they're ready primed? for They're ready for primer. So oh, plastic. Okay, okay. Straight ready for primer, but you could, if you didn't want to, uh, they say uh, pre-treated for paint and really accept anything from hardware store spray paint to professional airbrushing. So straight out of the box. So, so, so it, 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 it's along the lines of your Super Fantasy Brawls, your uh, uh, God Terror, your your Cool Mini or Not games where you, you, you can play as is, or, or you can take the time and paint them and make them look cool. Yeah. And they even came with two decal sheets for, like, the Iron Crosses or the, the German numbering of the U.S. numbering systems and the naming conventions that the U.S. and the British and the Russians even did. So, because it comes with four factions, U.S., U.K., Russia, and Germany. So... There is going to be another Kickstarter in the future where all of this stuff that I have is going to be available again, as well as new uh, product, as well as other scenarios that us as the backers and the community has put together and shared with the company. So uh, I got that on uh, email. Uh, so when they come out, we'll uh, put that up here on the and we'll talk about it if you're wanting to back it later on for anybody that listens. And, and, is there any talk about adding factions like the Japanese? Uh, I'm not sure yet because, like I said, this game is based on the computer game, and in the computer game, okay. it was primarily focused in Europe. Okay, so, that's that's fair. Yeah, I, I've never heard of the computer game either, so I'm. So the the the, the coolest thing, and, and you and when you showed this on a, a, the the Facebook chat, I think is the terrain where you know it's modular. You have yeah. the little where it can slide in, so it's just like I have a unit in here. Yeah. And you don't know about it until you get within range two or I pop it up on the rooftop or whatnot. So the other thing very, I very like, the other thing I like, which is something you pointed out the first time um, that you didn't point out this time is on the bottom of the tanks. For those that don't know what you're oh, looking yes. at, it actually tells you what the unit is. So if you don't know so, yeah. what a Sherman tank is, you can just pick it up and it says that it's a Sherman tank. I can't. It's, it's got all pixely. It's all 8-bit. So, yeah, there's your Panzer IV. There's your Tiger. But, yeah, if you didn't know your, your World War II uh, tanks and stuff like that, or even your smaller vehicles, Which, it's all fair, written on there. Most people don't. Yeah. Well, so, so when it comes to some of the German stuff, eh, I'm a little, I do know what a Sherman is. Thank you very much. I wasn't actually having a go at you. A tank is tank. a tank to a lot of people, is all I'm saying. What's that one? It's a tankity tank. Um, it's it a is. tank. It's it's a convertible tank. It's 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 one uh, JF Kennedy would have rode in. It's a oh. flat panzer. It's a flat panzer with an air tank. So another thing is I, I didn't have it. I don't have it out, but I got a solo co-op expansion pack as well. So it has five. AI style of uh, commanders in different difficulty settings. And hey, Socks. Yes. Do you know what we expect from you now that you have it has a solo mode with uh, AI? Videos. There you go. Yep. So when I get to my next house, I will be showing Socks some videos. So, because my setup here is not 
the most conducive. But, <laughs> <laughs> but my my boys and I have been playing this for the last couple of weeks. We've been enjoying it uh, very much so. So that's been my hobby time the last couple of weeks. Um, some of you who've listened, listened to the podcast earlier episodes know that I was looking forward to it. I love the computer game as it is. Um, saw it actually from Levi, um, who backed it as well from the Hot LZ's, uh, Hot LZ days. Levi, uh, saw it, backed it on Facebook, so I looked into it, backed it as well. Um, and it showed up, um, earlier this year, right before I moved down to Florida after I changed stations with the Air Force. And I really, really enjoyed that game. Um, it takes the aspects of the computer game very, very well and makes it feel like you're playing a computer game on the board. Um, I got the solo expansion and co-op um, expansion as well, so I was able to play with myself um, as well as have a teammate in a sense so that when my two boys played with me, I could have another teammate uh, in the sense of a computer AI setup and then they could play together as well against me and whatnot. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, there's a second edition of the Kickstarter coming out March time frame is what they're saying right now uh, And I'm looking forward to getting that I actually just ordered um, Some stuff they actually sent out an email uh, Kickstarter update Saying that they had some stuff left over here in the US as well as the UK for stuff that was after all the fulfillments was uh, finalized that they had a few sets left over and I actually picked up the Oberkommando, the second German faction, um, that was a a uh, stretch goal in the Kickstarter. I never picked it up in the in the original Kickstarter, uh, but I wanted to, hadn't yet. Um, but since they opened that up, there's only eight left when I ordered, and so I just like I'm gonna pick it up. So hopefully it'll be here soon. So I'll have two German factions to play along with the three Allied factions, and so I could play a two on two, two Germans and two Allies of some sort some combination um, but like i said there's gonna be another kickstarter uh 2.0 version they kind of tweaked the rules a little bit already um and so they're calling it a kickstarter 2.0 because um it's going to be some new the new rule changes some new point values and stuff for that for the units and things have changed with the gaming mechanics a little bit not much um but that's like i said that's coming out march time frame and so i'm looking forward to backing that part of it again as well as uh getting some other stuff that I wanted. I want to get another core set potentially that way I could play on larger maps. Um, I can play on some good sized maps, but I, I'd love to get the actual dice to it. More dice. If, if, if they had the option to buy more dice, um, and some of the other tokens and sets and stuff like that, uh, individually, I would really, really appreciate it. And that's primarily why I'm going to be backing it again. is just so I can get some dice unless they have that option to buy some of those individually. Then I might buy, not might not back as heavily into it, anyways. Um, so that was one thing that I was looking forward to and getting since I backed it and discussed it off and on throughout the year as well. Thank you, Major Socks. I believe you were captain at the time that the original footage came from. I could be wrong. Can't be bothered looking it up. You're not important enough. No, I'm kidding. I want to thank everybody that's been viewing us this year, regardless of how you found us. We've had a 220% increase this year because of the views that you guys have given us. Um, part of that is because we have put more content out. We have been more active. Uh, but I, I think it's just that our grind is actually starting to get through, which is really wonderful to see. Thank you very much to everybody that's done that. 
Coming up next, we have Michelle that wanted to talk about a price comparison that someone did uh, that we had permission to talk about back in March. Merry Christmas, folks. We're go I'm going to be talking about my highlights for uh, 2021. Uh, I thought episode 48 was a good one, talking about the, the prices uh, from GLW in different countries. What we are about to discuss is a research topic done by Simon Roberts. Um, so I'm going to start by he's, skipping. He's done a lot of research. Oh, yeah. So, complete context. Simon is from the UK. Why am I mentioning this? It means that he doesn't have a personal bias because he comes from an area that, as you will see, is completely neutral and is not actually part of the argument. He, I'm going to literally read his post word for word um, to give you context as to why he decided to do this. After years of seeing posts saying... G-Dub is so much more expensive in my country, I thought I'd take the time this morning to see how true it all is. So, taking the new Sigvold model, so he's just picked a random model, from the G-Dub website, I compared their pricing from around the world, and then ranked the countries in order of most cheapest, sorry, cheapest to most expensive, uh, on the exchange rate of that morning. Now, there's two images that we're going to look at because there's actually a second post that he's done since then. So yeah, the reason he's done this is purely because he wants to know if it's an exaggeration or not. Completely fair. So I'm going to start with the first image. So this particular model is £37.50. The first thing that surprises me, there's actually countries that sell this cheaper than the UK. I was never expecting that. Well, based on the exchange rate, too, at that time. Yeah. So, the euro, on average, tends to be 2% cheaper. I'm, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Canadian dollars is actually slightly cheaper. That surprises me. Canada's normally more expensive than everybody. Um, Sweden is 10% cheaper. That's surprising. Uh, Poland is 17%. Norway was 19% cheaper. Uh, on the other side of things, uh, the Danish krona is 2% more expensive, so it, neither here nor there. The Australian dollar is 33% on this particular model. That's roughly in line with what we've, what we've said in the past. Yeah. Uh, it does depend on the model. Uh, and then he's confirmed a couple of things that we have spoken about in the past. A, the Japanese are getting ripped off more than Australia is. We had confirmed that last time. Uh, and New Zealand are getting the biggest raw end of the deal out of everybody, which is something that we had discovered um, last time we were looking into this topic. So Australia is at 33%, Japan is at 37%, and the New Zealand dollar is at 45%. Now, in the next image, you're going to notice that some of these percentages will change because, again, he's based this on the exchange rates at the time that he was doing them. But the next one he did was look at average per income household. So, the other huge argument that gets brought up with this all the time is that, yes, but Australians get paid more than everybody else does. 
And boy, do I have bad news for you, George. Because this makes the Australian... This makes... The, usually that argument comes from US-based people. Not always. It is the UK as well. But your 1% are making you look really bad here. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mate, because... Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to talk specifically about Australia for a minute. So Australians... Average disposable income is $32,759. That would be a yearly figure. The per month figure is $2,730. So price income versus the US dollar is 2.01%. The United States have an average disposable income of $45,284. That's $3,774 a month disposable. Like I said, this is making... The the 1% is making America look really bad here. Um, I'm not going to try and pretend that that's not what it is. It's fairly obvious that that's what it is. Um, Well... There's a little bit on both sides too. There's the the minimum wage jobs too that... It should be balancing it out, but I don't think it is. I I, I know what my industry does on average, and and this is still below what my industry is. Yeah. Um, So your your income versus US is 1.46. So what we can see from here is that A, Australia's... Although their minimum wage is higher than a lot of other places, they're nowhere near as high on average as even we thought they were. Because this is something that we've acknowledged in the past, that yes, Australia gets paid more minimum wage and stuff than the rest of the world. But that's... I've only picked on the US because it's actually the highest out of all of them. The Japanese are less than us. New Zealand is even less again. Which, like, if you want to talk about being royally screwed, New Zealand is even more royally screwed than we thought they were. Um, They're the lowest on the list, period, and they have the highest markup. Yep. Firstly, I want to point out that Simon has spent a lot more time on this than most people would. Even the Australians, myself being one of them, and myself being one of the people that 100% does argue this, he didn't need to do this to, to begin with. I actually like the fact that he just picked a random mini. Um, so first off, uh, Sam Roberts did a bit of research on the price in different countries. Uh, and I thought it was good to bring it up because, uh, well, the Bruce is known to bitch about it, how expensive it is in uh, Australia and New Zealand compared to the rest of the world. Um, so it's gives a good fair balance to what they were saying and not just being a confirmation bias because uh, Simon also showed that uh, there are quite there are a few countries that get a break from uh, GW like Norway while they have quite a high medium income um so it, it, I checked out after the episode and I thought well my expectation was uh, it's going to be the higher earning countries will be uh, higher rates, but it looks like completely random 
uh, notions. It might be shipping, it might not be, uh, but it's definitely not based on uh, the average uh, household's income, uh, which I always assumed it was. I have to agree with Michelle on this. This particular subject was actually on my short list, and the reason that I didn't cover this is because Michelle already was. There was a couple of really surprising things that came up for me in this. It's probably worth noting that the original conversation we had on this was somewhere between 20 and 25 minutes long. There's a lot more information in there than what I'm showing you in the episode today. So it, it might even be if this is a story that's catching your interest, it might actually be worth going back and having a look at it. Um, the reason that I found this important wasn't just because somebody actually had the information that we had discovered. And, and I didn't know Simon before this. I just saw that he'd posted and went, I need to talk about this. Do you mind if I talk about this? And he gave me permission to. And sent me the original files, uh, or the images that you saw in the document on screen. But it was nice to have somebody completely independent actually confirm that the research that we'd done was correct. Because... It's very easy to find information that supports your case, if that's what you want to find. Um, but having somebody that didn't have a horse in the race actually confirm that without even... To my knowledge, he, he'd never heard of us. Um, so it was, it was nice to get that confirmation. But then to find out that there was actually a few countries that he'd looked into that were cheaper, I was not expecting to find that at all. That was a massive shock to me. 2021 is the year that we hit 100 subscribers. That had been a very long grind to get to that. Partially because we all do this in our spare time. This is not ever having been a job. But coming up next is something that we selected as a group. Because this was a moment that had been coming for easily four years. Uh, where we actually got to sit down with Lewis Clark of TT Combat and do what turned out to be an almost two-and-a-half-hour interview. What you're about to watch is a very, very small snippet of that. Just a couple of highlights that I chose. All of the talks and the original articles will be linked down below if you would like to see the full thing. So how much did Louis spend on CG and animation to get you to become a real person? I mean, it took a while. Uh, what first brought you into the hobby? Uh, ooh, back in... I don't even know the year. I was about 11, um, and my next door neighbour decided he wanted to play Warhammer 40,000. What's your favourite drop flip model, and why is it the Scourge drop, uh, Dreadnoughts? I mean, it is the Scourge Dreadnoughts. <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, maybe my favourite model now is the um, PHR Agrippa. Woo! It's great, isn't it? It's really getting a lot of conversation right now. I have a quick uh, follow-up question. Uh, why did you let an intern decide that the Shaltari were going to have a two-up burn-through 12 weapon? I mean, Dave gets paid like everyone else. I wouldn't call him an intern. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a lot of shits because um, I mean, the resistance, I think we're only missing a dreadnought now and then I caught up with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just be but because of how complicated be that conversation was going to be, Yes, I'm, I could be yeah. wrong, but I have a feeling that we're the first ones to talk about the space stations, because it's only the TT so, agents yeah. that's seen it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm happy to talk about all of them as well, actually. So the, uh, Triumvir, with that repair bay, that's kind of nice being able to repair your own ships or help with damage mm -hmm. control. 
Yes, actually, yeah, and I think they're the yes. only ones that do that right now, yeah? Yeah, so far. Um, one of the things we wanted to do with the new categories is make sure that there was something that hadn't been seen before for premature. And I, I know the show summary is the thing that hadn't seen is one thing that does one thing. Um, you'd be, I think a lot of people would be surprised at how small the company still is. Um, we have maybe a dozen people in the design department, um, which includes photographers and web designers and um, anyone that makes the 3D MDMC as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very small team. We are still a very small company. Um, so it's not hard to have your fingers in a lot of pies when there's yeah. not that many pies around. What about like just generally that feeling of like actual like living monsters type thing? Like Cthulhu type, for yeah, why not? For Dropfleet, you'd have to talk to Dave about that. That's all. Well, that's true. <laughs> oh. um, Dave, you, yeah. you own the key to the basement, don't you? Can't you just open the door and ask? <laughs> yeah, and um, if you want that, then send a letter campaign to Dave. I'm not giving you his address. <laughs> <laughs> the Drop Universe being acquired versus the other two, Carnivale and Home Raiders. I imagine that those two things would have felt very different behind the scenes. Your behind the scenes perspective hasn't really been talked about as much, really. Um, but, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, your, at least from your point of view, how that went down? Because you were very much yeah. in the depths of the mm. company at that stage. Yeah, um, we don't we don't really talk much about it because there's a lot of, it's not an it's easy time for anyone in it. It is that there's a lot of business stuff. Um, so when um, Carnival Carnival was bought by DC Comics just before I joined the company, um, so I sort of got the tail end of it. Um, it was bought by, uh, it was created by a man called David Esbury. Um, he's a Spaniard who was extremely good at making games. His games very very nice. Uh, the original version very very good. Um, but he got to a point with it where it was expanding at a rate faster than he was able to dedicate time to. Mm. Um, so he decided that he wanted to pass this on now so that they could take the ratings and make it what he wanted without having to sort of change too much of how he, he was able to produce it. Um, and when Hawk was in discussions, um, yeah, I was needed in the company at that point. No, no way, means of getting out. Um, Dave came down to see us a few times. Uh, I think there's no mystery of the fact that they were having difficulty fulfilling their Dropfly Kickstarter yeah. um, and it affected production issues all round. So he was at talks with us to first of all just outsource all production and then very shortly afterwards it became it needed to be a different conversation entirely. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it was decided that him and Hawk were going to be brought into TT Combat. So on the on the topic of uh, uh of other projects and everything, several several years ago, uh, we asked Dave this question and and we didn't get much from him. But uh, is there still any uh, thoughts or ideas about a a drop squad game? So you didn't you know, get anything where, from where Dave. you take the the the. We got smidgets. No, he well, said I, no I believe what he said was uh, I can't serious. talk about that. <laughs> we have Why we have he... audio evidence somewhere of this conversation. You don't even have to buy Dave a beer or anything. You just gave you Dave. Would you like to talk about something you're not allowed to talk about? And it's like, yes, here you go. Here's pictures. <laughs> I'm standing outside going, Dave, no, you can't do that. We need Dave to pest Yeah, George. drop squad commander. Yeah, any any thoughts about doing a, a 28 mil scale kind of a zone mortalis, you know, based off of the drop universe where you're focusing on the infantry models? 
I have some very particular thoughts on that subject. The end. We we haven't had we haven't developed it yet. I will say that we it, it's absolutely not in development right now, um, but it's something that even like back in the early days when all, when Dave Games talked to us, that was something we really wanted to talk about because twenty eight millimeter drop zone would be awesome. Um, what I really love about the drop universe, particularly the the sort of difference between fleet and zone, is that the things you're capturing in zone and the f- things you're capturing in fleet is a game of zone. Mm. So it'd be nice for the things right. you're capturing in zone. To be a game of something else so it um, takes place inside it, it, the building exactly it lends itself perfectly like personally um this is wild speculation things that i would like wish listing from a designer why do you keep listening to us ramble on uh, and prattle about stuff endlessly <laughs> have you heard the radio nowadays there's nothing on <laughs> <laughs> that's possibly the perfect answer to that's complete dismissal <laughs> Is there any particular part of the design process that you enjoy more than the rest? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, breaking the game. That's the bit that I like. Oh, so you and George would get along really well. <laughs> what I really like is, um, and my best example of this is Drop Zone Command Cards. Because Drop Zone, you make the rules, there's your rule book, and that's how the game plays. And then you go, but actually, with this card, I'm cheating. See you, Captain Sam. Congratulations on the, uh, on the promotion. Thank you. Thank you, Lewis. Yes, yes. You can thank Lewis for the fact that we're actually acknowledging your major. I know. I, I do appreciate that. Because <laughs> <laughs> George wouldn't. Can we confirm that Traffic James will always remain? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No matter what happens, Traffic James can stay. Have <laughs> you guys got a Traffic James miniature? I haven't got uh, it yet. No, I, I do, do intend not. to buy it. I... I'm not people. Thank you very much again for that, Lewis. I don't know if listening to yourself is going to be something that you're overly keen on, but you've had to do it now because I didn't warn you about this in advance. (laughs) Uh, That interview actually turned out to be the most watched and listened thing that we'd done this year. Uh, Between the two, it it blew out everything else out of the water. Uh, We were very, very proud of this moment, and we were very, very happy that Lewis was uh, was allowing us to do that with him. Coming up next is George. George is going to talk about his low light for 2021, which unfortunately started with a game and a Kickstarter that he was really excited about. So 2021 is at an end. And so to talk about a few things, we're going to talk about some bad. We're going to talk about some good. Ignore the dog barking. Apparently they want to to spend time with me now that they hear me talking. Um, first thing, I don't want to waste too much breath, so I have, uh, pre-recorded a message where I don't waste my breath. It's, it's coming. Really, it's coming. Mostly sure it's coming. Bruce may have to do some editing here. I hope you're all entertained by my ineptitude of operating a computer, which I've obviously not been doing. (laughs) Round two of Super Fantasy Brawl. Yeah. Now, they they went out and specifically said this is not season two. This is just another set of, uh, of models for the current game. Yeah. Nothing is changing with the current game. This is just more characters for the game. Yeah. Which, from the outset, we were told that this was coming. Though, the original plan, and I'm not being nasty here, the original plan 
and what we were originally told is that all of this stuff was going to retail. Now, obviously, we know why that hasn't happened, because current situation of the world. Um, but I just think that's worth mentioning, because if we didn't mention that, we'd probably get called out on it, like we were being favouritism or something, which is not what's yeah. going on. But um, I'm currently unsure as to whether I'm going to back this or not. I haven't actually decided yet. I'm going to wait to see what the Kickstarter page actually looks like. Um, so, here, here's my opinion, Bruce. You want my opinion? Yep. So, right up here... Yeah, I can reach it here. This is an add-on box for the game, you know, stretch goal, blah, 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 right? Yep. This box right here, I don't think I'm ever going to need any more than that. Not. There's, what, 12 minis in this? And everything to play the game in this box. Yeah. If I'm a TO and I'm running an SFB, you know, tourney, sure, whatever. Me, as, you know, I'm going to go play with friends or whatnot, I'm not going to need more than this box. Period. Yeah. For those that are watching um, the video of this and are wondering why I'm only showing off things on the Facebook page, is that's where these things were advertised. I mean, cheap in a bad way. Unfortunately, we don't have George with us, as I said a minute ago, because one of the big things I wanted to discuss was the Super Brawl Round 2, now that we know more about it. The last time we discussed this, it wasn't really clear what was coming out for existing players. Um, so part of this is, yes, a re-release for those that missed out on the first time. Um, it's not quite the same thing. So those that thought they were getting a big deal and are now worried about, hey, you said it was a one-time thing. No, they, they have changed it slightly so that we still got the decent deal that we did. But, okay, so you got this mega fan pledge, which comes with everything in this particular Kickstarter. Or, for $50... You've got your round two pledge, which is just the new stuff. So you've got the hot trick expansion. Uh, you've got the mental might expansion and the radiant authority expansion. Um, you've got obviously the cards and you've got a sleeve kit that comes with them. Uh, you've got an upgraded rule book because obviously you've got new people. You're going to need rules for those people. Um, decent value. I'm still not entirely... I still don't think I'm getting this. Um, I just don't feel that I need it. Yeah. But anyway, th I still like... They have this thing where they, um... They show what you're getting, as opposed to what you're getting in retail. Um, so it gives you, like, it's not just a blanket claim of what you save by doing this. They actually show you exactly what it's going to be priced at. And, uh, because again, this is a game that will eventually be available in retail. The reason why that hasn't happened at this stage is fairly obvious. Um, the, the savings on the round two is not as huge, but it's also a lot smaller. Um, because essentially... Your Kickstarter pledge has is $50, comes with all of this stuff. 
including some foil champion cards that will not be available outside of this. Um, whereas everything is being sold separately if you buy it separately. So, uh, it, it's, it's definitely decent value. Um, they continue to have really nice looking minis. My biggest disappointment of the year would have to be Mythic Games. First, they have gotten to a point that Kickstarter really isn't an appropriate platform for them in some of their games. Super Fantasy Brawl was fully funded and delivered, yet they decided to do round two where there was three additional three-figure sets. But the other part of this Kickstarter was retail packaging of the game from the first Kickstarter. Now it's my understanding that the purpose of Kickstarter is to take an idea and reward the backers and push a product to retail. Personally I would have much rather received the retail packing instead of what I received. Had I waited I would have received exactly the same pledge and packing that I preferred for the same price and what was actually new in the second pledge. I received my link from Mythic for the pledge manager which did not work. The link was sending me to back her kit. No matter what I did, I was unable to get the link to work. So I sent messages to Mythic stating the link isn't working. I didn't get any response. I sent a second message and again no response. Only after my second message did I find out that the pledge manager wasn't on back her kit as the link showed, but on game found. I went to pay for my shipping, but the pledge manager was closed. I sent a third message, and a fourth message, and a fifth message. Finally with my sixth message and reporting them to Kickstarter for not responding to messages, I finally got the following message. Hello and thank you for your question. We are currently not responding on Kickstarter messages due to the high volume of requests we get throughout all our platforms. Please kindly send your question to our support email at support at mythicgames.net and our customer service team will be delighted to help you. Thank you for your understanding. Kind regards. The customer service team. When I posted in the comments for the pledge, I did get a response from Marco asking for me to email him at marco at mythicgames.com. So I emailed him and my emails from two different accounts could not be delivered. After several tries I was finally able to get an email through to him. And was my problem solved? No, it took an additional five emails to Marco to get my shipping applied to my pledge. Now I wish I could stop there, but I can't. Another pledge that I backed was supposed to be delivered in June of 2021, and it hasn't. Not because of shipping delays or anything like that, no, the game isn't even finished yet. That hasn't stopped them from launching four additional campaigns, two of which are very behind schedule. I think Mythic needs to stop, take a step back, and get caught up before launching any more campaigns in 2022. So, I, I said I wasn't going to waste my breath on this by, by doing that. Um, I am going to waste some breath, though, because I, I, I think this is a very very just unprofessional um, course that Mythic Games has taken. Um, round two, 
generated $580,000 and their best response is, we're not responding to your messages here. Please email us. And when you email them, your email gets kicked back saying, we can't deliver this, sorry. If you're collecting $580,000, get yourself an email server or an email service provider that can receive emails. That's that's just flat out unacceptable. Um, the other game that I backed, uh, Hell the Last Saga, uh, that closed May last year. They said delivery this year. And the last update, they're still doing final, like, you know, not even final touch-ups. They're like halfway through final touch-ups. So essentially, a game they said would be here the middle of this year, they're halfway done with at the end of the year. And I'll just give you an idea here. I'm pulling up the, the campaign for Hell. 2.2 million. And they're six months behind schedule now at this point. Um, it hasn't stopped them from doing four additional Kickstarter campaigns, um, which, in my opinion, that's absolute crap. If you're going to, you know, be continuing with other Kickstarters, you should have your other Kickstarters first or, you know, on track. Um, another big company that we, we've talked about, you know, maybe it's not an appropriate platform, Simon. Their stuff delivers on time, and if it doesn't, they're telling you when it's going to deliver and are giving you this, the same kind of updates. And they're showing you, you know, like, this is where we're at. You know, um, Ankh, the one I backed, um, it was delayed by, like, I think five months, and I got it. This other game has been delayed over six months, and they still don't have an ETM when it's going to be delivered. So, Mythic Games for 2021. As you can tell, that it's a bit of a story that George kind of got frustrated with over that. It's not the first time that some of you will have heard that story either, uh, but it really was a really big deal for George, uh, and there's no way that he could talk about lowlights of the year without that having been mentioned. So coming up next is actually me. I get to do something. Yay! Um, like I don't talk enough on these things. <laughs> I, I swear, I, sick, I get sick of my own voice, especially after all of this. I've been through 25 hours and 40 minutes of footage just using what you're seeing here today. That doesn't include the episodes that I had to go through to find the ones that I'm using today. Um, I'm talking about one of my highlights for the year, so I'm going to leave you guys with Past Bruce. One of the highlights for 2021 for me really was discovering Don't Look Back. I came across this last night. So this is a, a late edition. I do have a whole list, but I saw this and went, nope, 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 covering this. This looks awesome. Okay, so... Dude. Black Sight Studios have made a game based around horror traps, basically. Um, those that are watching the video at the moment will be able to read through their little tease, but I'll read it out loud. The sound of heavy footsteps moves closer and closer. You and your friends came here for fun, but now you're fighting for your lives. So it's very much horror movie tropes. Uh, you're playing it on a 3x3 three three foot playing surface. The players control the heroes against a randomly generated AI killer. So you're playing against an AI in this. Uh, meant to run for like 32 minutes. You've got a base game that has a really cool looking cabin. A little bit of scatter terrain there and that as well. You've got your heroes and an initial killer. And then we move into... There's a mask, uh, hockey mask option. 
for it, Bruce. Is there? Yeah. Well, it's still totally not him. Um, just like like there is greys, which is more generic. That's fine. Curse on Oak Hill expansion. Totally not House in the Haunted Hill. Definitely not. And that's definitely not Leatherface. We've got some Final Girls. People that are... Th- these are more hero options, basically. And then the most recent edition is definitely not Pennywise from It. It's definitely not him. It's a totally different sculpt. Look. Um, I love this so much. <laughs> Uh, I may actually buy this next pay. I want to play this really badly. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna point this out real quick because so, uh, this game right here that I have, the Dresden Files card game. Yeah. I bought an insert to hold all the cards out of you know plywood yeah. instead of you know the regular stupid plastic insert. Because sometimes when a game expands and stuff like that, the regular insert that comes with it is not sufficient anymore. So you go searching for a heavy-duty thing. Or you look for an accessory to keep track of the stuff. Yep. They've already done this. I, I like that. It's like, hey, we also have this. You don't need it, but we've got this right here. You don't have to Google for it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like that. The upgrades. and yeah, Because I can just say that this is something that you can sit down with your mates and have fun with without taking it too seriously. It's a 30-minute game. You can easily do it on a board game night. Um... It might it might be a nice entry level thing to try and show off to people. That's a steep price for a game. Yeah, it is. There is a bit in it, but it's. I suspect that most of that price is in the MDF kits. Oh, I'm sure. Because they're fairly simple looking minis. That cabin is fairly. Like that, there's that, quite the, a lot in that cabin. That cabin is almost just straight up worth buying the game. Just to get that cabin as a terrain piece. Yeah. Um, And the rest of it too. I'm interested to see how the AI deck plays. Because I find AI decks tend to go in one of two ways. They either end up being very, very predictable. Or they work. Uh, Sometimes both. But if you can predict what's going to happen, then it breaks down. Uh, I'm just reading... Two custom scenarios, miniature. I didn't even realise this when I was looking at the front. The boxes are old VHS tapes. What? Oh, that's that's cool. That just fits so well. And now that I've read that, I can see that that's what they are, very obviously. But I just hadn't noticed. This is more than just that one game. They've they've got quite a bit going on here. Oh, yes, yes. No, that there is other stuff. I was just concentrating on the game uh, because it's what caught my eye. Uh, so if you click on the main main picture that has all of it included, if, it actually shows an interior view of what the house looks like, and it's got five, one, two, three, four, five, six rooms in the interior of the house. Oh, this is huge, then. Well, it's there's your question on the um, there's your question on the value of the box coming straight up. This is leaning so far into the tropes that it works so well for me. And then you've got a picture of one of the minis standing next to the house that actually shows how huge it is. And it's not quite so obvious from that first picture how big it is because it's kind of all out of scale. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm buying. Hundred bucks for that cabin, Black Sight Studios. Yep. 
their horror board game. Yep, which I am going to be buying. Um, okay. What? Yeah, I know, right? I'm, that's such a shock. I've already said it once. Um, okay, so <laughs> they have got a new starter set. So this has changed since we last looked at it. The first thing you'll notice, George, is that the big cabin is no longer in the starter set. Uh, that, oh. Well, it's going to be available as a separate thing. The big thing that they... That, that was the bit that kept sense. on... No, well, it, that was the bit that they kept on having trouble kind of keeping stock for the game. And for oh. anybody that was living internationally, it pretty much doubled the price. Really expensive. It, it, it just yeah. ruined it. Um <sighs> There's a few people from Australia that have been commenting. I was not one of them, just for the record. Um, that I really want to buy this game, but I can't because it's costing me two or three times the price in postage. Uh, and apparently somebody from the company's from Australia and had been frustrated about that for a while themselves. So it comes with a couple of card packs that you used to have to buy separately. You've got brand new tokens here. You'll notice that the MDF knife is gone. Um, there's no talk yet as to whether that's going to be available separately or not. I'm kind of hoping that it is. But that's potentially a postage issue too, potentially, in some places. Um, all in all, I mean, obviously it's slightly cheaper as well. Uh, but all in all, I do think this is going to be a really nice set. Uh, it's still the same multi-part killer kit. Mine is still going to be Jason Voorhees. There is a large part of the gaming community that just aren't into the competitive aspect of a lot of games. You sent me black paper. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> you did not. I did. You did not. I did. Bruce. <laughs> this is so cool. I'm excited. I'm going to open that later. Um, or while your guys are talking about hobby. Don't Look Back is one of those games that to me felt entirely unique. Um, since those videos went live, we've had plenty of people like debate as to whether it's a tabletop game or a board game. Personally, I kind of feel like the entire argument is irrelevant. It kind of sits in the middle somewhere there for me. I mean, it is a board game, but there's a lot of elements from wargaming in there as well. It's not a war game, quite clearly, but there's a lot of elements from tabletop gaming that fit in there quite nicely. It's kind of both at the same time, but also kind of neither. The thing about Don't Look Back for me is it falls into a niche that I haven't seen done before. And there's a lot of talk about that in those videos that I edited out, quite frankly, because I'm just going to end up repeating myself otherwise. Uh, and at the end of that highlight, you will have seen me make a comment about how there's a lot of people that don't enjoy the competitive side of gaming. And I, honestly, I think that even the people that say that don't realise how many of them there are. Like, truth be told, there's a lot of people that love going to tournaments, there's a lot of people that love trying to get... and get to the top and there's nothing wrong with that i'm not here to say that that's wrong my point quite frankly is quite simply 
there's a lot of gamers that want something new out of their games. Something that does something more than, well, my stuff killed all of your stuff. There are some games that do that and find that very well. But this completely eliminated that by becoming a cooperative game. Everybody that's playing is playing with each other to try and survive a killer that's controlled by the game. Now, in those initial videos, I wasn't able to really comment much on how it worked. But in the game that we had, it worked really well. And at the only points where it kind of struggled, it's because of mistakes that are made because I didn't know the rules very well. The big thing about Don't Look Back for me is the competitive aspect is completely gone. In saying that, though, it wouldn't take much to slide in a betrayer or something amongst the group. Uh, it like it really wouldn't be that hard to do it. I'd be very surprised if we don't get an expansion that does that at some point. Don't Look Back is a game that I can honestly tell you that I will eventually own everything for it. That's how much of a highlight this was for me. Do I need to buy all of it? No. There's so much more there that I haven't touched at this stage. But I really want everything. Uh, it's one of the few games on the market where I could reasonably actually consider doing that. But this is a game where buying the extra stuff legitimately adds to the game in different ways. It's not just more of the same. Um, every expansion that they've done adds something new and adds something unique. I'm going to be very interested to see what this game does in 2022. Thank you very much, Past Bruce. Coming up next is actually one of the suggestions that came through from Jarrett Carnelian. Thank you very much, Jarek. Thank you for coming up with that suggestion nice and early. I do appreciate it. The Prepare for Conquest series is something that I put a lot of work into. It was an idea that I kind of... I had had once before, but it wasn't really the time to do it. Um, I had just gotten off doing shift work for four years, which pretty much almost was the deathbed in me actually playing games. And it was an environment where I never really knew what hours I was doing. I didn't really get a lot of heads up. So I'm glad that that's done. I'm glad that I've moved on. And I'm glad that it allowed me to actually do something new and challenge myself. Uh, I think the fact that I did kind of step out onto the ledge for that one has probably come across. And I think that's part of the reason of why it was so successful. Coming up next, we're returning to Michelle, who has a story that he's got a few mixed feelings on, to be honest. My highlights for uh, 2021 and my own video about making uh, dangerous uh, terrain for uh, space games. Good morning folks, it's been a while since I made a video. Uh, I'm back and I'm going to be making some terrain for A Billion Suns, uh, a new game that's been going around. Um, I'll be making dangerous space, which is basically space debris, and I'll be putting these on uh, tokens from Drop Fleet Commander, but you know, they can be used in either system. I'm going to make them from uh, cork, which is about 3 mil thick, um, so that you can place your spaceships on them. Uh, I'll show you uh, what I've done in a moment. These are the pieces of uh, turnout 
cork. I've put them on the cardboard cutout from Dropfleet Commander, the starter set. Uh, gives you four templates for terrain. I'll be putting these on double-sided tape, which I have here. Um, and I'll be painting them while they are still on this tape. Then I'll be cutting it out from the tape and uh, after that removing them and sticking them down again. Uh, so I won't have any warping issues with this cardboard. The other project for this video will be the Rexus Nexus. Uh, I cut out two circles with a diameter of 12 inches. Um, the center got a cap over it, uh, went around. Then I uh, did the same partially and kept turning. The large one I used his friend over here um, to draw uh, the, the outgoing spirals. So I've made uh, the base for the storm. Um, I stenciled an off-white color uh, mixed with a tad of yellow ochre uh, to do the, the big lines. Then came back with uh, the base white color and the, the inner side with a flat headed brush. Um, and I'm going to continue doing that on the sides with uh, different colors. So as you can see, I've already made a start with the debris. Um, I gave it a over brush with an off-white, then did blue and yellow and combined one. Um, and I'm going to quickly uh, pick some out to be red uh, so I get a mix for the ships. You can use any color you like, of course. Cut the tape into sections and then went individual for pieces, cutting as first doing rough and then getting as close as possible. And now here um, you can barely see the outline of the tape um, because I use black as the primer. So I finished uh, painting the pieces up and now it's time to peel off the tape backside and put them on the cardboard. But because these are all three mil high, they should stand quite nicely, unlike pebbles or uh, stuff like that. So this is one of the two versions I made for the Rexus Nexus uh, with a pull in the center um, and spirals going out. My dangerous space terrain for uh, a billion suns. Uh, well, uh, I'd been trying to do uh, some tutorials for a while, but it didn't really work out. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but I thought it got the point across well enough. Um, it also made me realize it's not for me to do tutorials, uh, so that's why I, I discontinued doing them. Um, but it was fun to do, uh, but I'm not good at it, so I stopped. So it's a learning moment. Uh, I could have pushed it on, um, but that would mean investing in uh, cameras and, uh, and extra materials that I didn't think would help me personally. 
Uh, and it was good to see there were views on it, and I got some good responses on them. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's a bit of a mixed feeling for me. Um, so on the one side, getting the views and positive feedback, and the other side, realizing well, it's not for me to do tutorials online. Thank you, Michelle. I'm looking forward to seeing what you're doing. Um, I think it's just something that you needed more time to actually explore and get time with. But I'm excited to see what you end up doing in 2022. Time for a little bit of a cheap plug. We have a goal that we want to get to 1,000 subscribers before our next birthday in April. It's a big goal. We've got a long way to go. And we're not going to be able to do that without your support. If you have gotten anything from this channel at all, if you enjoy watching our content, if you would like to see what we're going to be doing next year, please subscribe. We want to get to 1,000 subscribers before April. Over 75% of you guys are not subscribed, and I know that's not uncommon with YouTube, but we really, really want to get there so that we can start pushing further. The moment we get to that point, it's going to allow this to become a little bit smoother, and it'll help support the channel as well. And so, we're returning to Major Socks now. And Major Sox is talking about a story that at the time was fairly scary because none of us really knew what was going to be going on. I think it's still fairly early to say whether this was a highlight or a low light because we still haven't really seen where all of this has gone yet. Um, another big thing that happened earlier this year that was a really big impact for me um, was the announcement from Fantasy Flight Games saying that they were no longer going to be the lead developers on any of the Star Wars games, whether that was Armada, Legion, and uh, X-Wing. And then we get to a point where I'm going to largely hand over to you and then comment. So we're going to flip this on its head for a little bit. Yep. Here's some so... news that a lot of people didn't see coming. And I'm surprised this hasn't been met with more salt than it has been. And that's saying something. I'm one of those that did not see this coming. So for yeah. those of you that have not seen it, back on the 16th, a huge announcement went out by Fantasy Flight uh, Games, Atomic Mass Games, and Asmodee. So Asmodee is a huge game distributor and retailer that owns probably almost, I would say almost 50% of the market because of how much yeah. companies they own underneath their umbrella. Um, so they announced back on the 16th that Star Wars, Legion, Armada, and X-Wing would no longer be under production from, by Fantasy Flight Games and be moved under Atomic Mass Games. Atomic Mass Games is kind of their miniature tabletop miniature gaming studio, whereas Fantasy Flight Games is very much... They started out board games. Fantasy Flight started out play, doing board games primarily. Then they started getting into the miniatures when they got uh, X-Wing and uh descent and some of the others and so they moved they decided asmodee as a parent company decided to move them primarily to focus on miniatures under the atomic mass games umbrella and fantasy flight games will continue with board games um so yeah that was a huge shock across all three star wars uh avenues none of us saw it coming but I, I mentioned it to, to Bruce and George that it reminds us, I mean, we're all Hawkmore Games fans. That's where we started out this podcast to begin yeah. with. But related to this is how we all felt when Hawkmore Games was sold out by TT Combat. I mean, none of us saw it coming when they, they announced that move. 
There are some grumblings across the enterprise that we saw within the, the groups that we're part of. And there's absolutely the right so. And, and so, yeah. Uh, but you are, you play Marvel, Marvel Crisis Protocol. Yes. How do you like the, yeah. how do you like the miniatures from, of those? I mean, people are wondering, is the price of Legion going to skyrocket? Because a miniature for MCP is about 20 bucks, but you're only yeah, buying one miniature in the box. Yeah, they're very different miniatures too, though. Um, y- yes. I have to agree. Okay. There's a couple of things that's worth touching on this, and that's one. No, I don't expect that the price, unless they completely ditch and then launch game versions of their own, which, to my knowledge, they haven't said they're doing that. It's the no, games they, that they, have moved, not the not the license. Correct. The games have moved. They've got a few key developers from Fantasy Flight that is moving over as well from Atomic yeah. uh, Atomic Mass Games. So. Um, I don't think we're going to be seeing a complete change of the rules and games themselves. No, they'd be silly to do that. Let's talk about what I see as the giant elephant in the room. And the giant elephant in the room that most fans of these games don't want to discuss. The distribution of those three games by Fantasy Flight has been a disaster from day one. It's been a problem with Fantasy Flight getting these stuff to stores for a while because they have not been able to keep up with demand. And most of that has usually been attributed to the fact that they're not a miniature company, they're a board game company. You're absolutely right. This, to me, should, in theory, solve that problem. Hopefully it's not solving the problem too late. Because I would argue that there's been people that's dropped because of it, because they can't. I'm sure that a few people are have gotten that hurt that far. I won't be. I, I still love Legion. Uh, my boys are loving Legion. I'm getting the new Star Wars Armada stuff that's coming out this Friday as part of my Christmas. So I will not be topping out of it. I, but no. I, don't I can see, see a few folks. Whenever something like this happens in the industry, you will always have a few people that'll go, oh, well, if it's moving, then I'm not going to do it anymore. That that, that happened with, we mentioned uh-huh. Drop Fleet and Drop Zone. Yep. Um, whether you agree with people doing that or not is completely irrelevant, really. It's just nature of the thing. I mean, it's not a company being, like, this is still the same company. Yes. The only thing that's changing is the division that's leading it. And... You've got a division that's so far. I mean, in the middle, in the middle of COVID, Marvel has continued to distribute. Yeah, um, I was gonna say they seem to be doing really well. They've been out for what a year and a half, two years now with yeah. Marvel Crisis Protocol, and they put out a lot of product in that last year and a half, two years. Yeah. Uh, the other elephant in the room is the one that you mentioned, price. Now, Star Wars miniatures are more simplified yes um and we and they we are hard more... plastic correct like the stuff you we... have to build is still hard plastic yes they yeah. started bringing that into the hard plastic realm um marvel crisis so... protocol is all hard plastic but they are much larger minis and they are more complex minis so and people have mentioned that in the in the groups and stuff like that that i've seen but people are also realizing that with MCP, you're buying one or two models. You only need one of one type of model. It's not like Star Wars Legion where I need three boxes of Stormtroopers at least in order to play the game for my core army. 
whereas MCP, you're buying four or five heroes. Yeah. Um, as you guys know, I play Armada uh, and Legion very heavily. Love those games. Um, started with X-Wing, but then when Armada came out, I loved that aspect of the capital ship style feel. Um, the larger scale of the game, in a sense, and sold all my X-Wing to get into Armada. Um, but when that announcement came out, I was kind of shocked. No one knew what was going to happen um, with it. Not since uh, Atomic Mass Games, the makers of uh, Pro Marvel Cro Crisis Protocol, was going to take over the lead design and development on it. Um, my major concern when that announcement came out was was later on when I we all found out in the community um, that the lead game designer did not transition with the staff uh, from Fantasy Flight over to Atomic Mass Games. Um, there was only a small handful um, that, that transferred over that I'm aware of, particularly one. He was a co-designer of the game. And so that kind of took a burn to the community, the Star Wars community as a whole, as a whole saying, okay, you guys are transferring these games from one lead designer to another but you're not taking the guys that actually created the game. So what's going to happen with these games now? And, and a few months later, the guy that did transfer over is no longer with the company. They, they let him go um, from what I'm aware of. Um, and so we're all shocked in the community. We're all wondering what was going to happen to it because people from AMG who had not played the game is now developing the game. And so we're trying to figure out Okay, are all the new pieces that they have coming out in the future, is it even going to be working right? Because they don't know kind of the history of what has worked and what hasn't worked with all the errata changes and whatnot over the, the few years of the games being out. Um, Legion is kind of in a 1.5, almost a 2.0 version. Armada is kind of that way as well but still kind of a 1.0 version x-wing had just transitioned into into a second edition um, right before the split um and the announcement was made and so it i'm, I'm kind of worried in a sense especially with armada because amg came out with a statement saying as part of their announcements that um it sounded like armada was just gonna die um, the, the first announcement that they came out with, it sounded like Armada was dead. They were not going to look into Armada, developing in Armada anymore. And this was a few months after uh, the Clone Wars factions had just been released to Armada. Uh, a first wave of new expansions was already in the works uh, when Fantasy Flight uh, lost the, the lead development. And so those were going to come out to begin with, but then they said, we Armada... Is not being looked at at this time and so they so when the community thought saw that they're like okay is armada dead forever um but, they, but amg came back and said no it's not dead we just don't have anything planned for all of 2022 so we have an entire year in a sense if not more actually more almost two years um by the time we'll, we'll see anything new for armada either the Empire Rebels or the new Galactic and Separatist factions that just came out. Um, so I'm not happy about that. I love that game. Uh, I have a whole shelf over here that's full of it. I would love to see more ships for the Separatists and, and the Galactic Republic factions. Since they are the newest factions, they don't have as much ships. Um, 
or squadrons to be played with. Um, so I would love to see more ships of those. Uh, Legion is doing pretty well. I mean, they're, they're, they announced that they're going to have new battle boxes. Um, we'll see what those come about. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see what Legion has out coming out. But at the same time, I'm, I'm nervous to see how it's all going to work out with them not having the lead developers that's been there from the beginning when these games come out. Uh, speaking of Legion, um, kind of some show off some hobby stuff. Uh, trying to build up my droid army. Uh, the last week and a half or so, I've, I've built up my staff riders. Um, so some little droids on little speeder bike things. Um, so uh, I got some B2s primed. Um, got some BX droid, commando droids uh, built up. Uh, a new commander for the droids built up. I just need to prime them and then paint them and then they'll be ready to go for the table. So I'm slowly getting through my backlog. Um, so, but I'm looking forward to what the next year brings for us as a podcast group um, for getting tables. Um, again, thank you to all your, our supporters out there uh, and happy new year, happy holidays, wherever you may be. Um, hope you guys are safe with COVID still going around uh, and, and with the vaccine slowly rolling out. Um, Hopefully areas where you're at are able to open up a little bit more. In my area, we're, we're able to meet up uh, at the local game store that I, I found here in town. So it's, it's been nice, but I hope your areas are, are able to do that soon if they're not already. Um, so be safe. Uh, thanks again for all your support and take care. Captain Major Sox signing out. In 2022, we had the chance to do two interviews during that year. The first one you've already seen, and that was our interview with Lewis, which had been coming for a very long time. This is the second one. The reason that it came up last moment is because Mel actually reached out to his community and said that as part of him returning to the hobby and returning to doing videos, he wouldn't mind doing a podcast with somebody, something to dip his toe in. George actually reached out to him, and not only did Mel agree, but Mel actually arrived to record online according to our schedule he didn't even give us an opportunity to work around him he appeared that weekend which is why it came off very last moment and basically we just we spoke with mel for a little under two hours mel was up at a really stupid time of the morning uh, i think we started at around one o'clock his time it might have been two o'clock his time in the morning and we finished at either three or four depending on what that is again this is only a very small snippet of the interview, just cutting down for time. If you want to see the full thing, I would highly recommend going back to watch the original. Uh, there's not That hasn't actually had as many views as I thought it would. This is a really quality interview. If you're a fan of terrain making, if you don't know who Mel is, you really should get to know who this man is. He's one of the nicest and most genuine people in this community. And we cannot be grateful enough for the fact that he did that with us. Ah oh dear. So for for any of the three or four people in the world that don't know who Mel is, do you want to explain why most of us know you? Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, basically because I share my passion for terrain making on YouTube. I think it, it came at the right time for people. Mm. I think, I mean, my, my, my premise with the, with the channel, yeah, one, it, there was my personal reasons for doing it health-wise, mental health-wise, and the motivation to do something. But the underlying reason was very much this sort of feeling like 
terrain making was disappearing from the hobby. I mean, every photo of a convention I saw, it was flat plastic land with GW buildings on as far as the eyes could see. Yeah. You know, and it was like, I'm seeing the same. And even with the creation of MDF kits, yep. you know, it's like, hey, it's, you know, it's still flat. No one's come up with an MDF hill yet. Do you keep a lot of your stuff? Do you, like, no, do you still no, have I, a lot of it? No, anything big and posh is going off to someone else. You know, uh, I tend, there's two sorts of terrain I make. Yeah, I make uh, tutorial pieces where it's very much like I'm building this purely because I want to show you how to build it or I want to show you this technique or, you know, we're experimenting with something. Or I do sort of my feature builds, which are like the D-Day board, the Frostgrave board, the map and all those sort of things. And they're generally for companies. So at the same time I was making the Frostgrave board, uh, the High Peak Pass tile for foreground, yeah, when I started that, I started off with a list of what snow tutorials do I want to pull out of this build? You know, speaking of tables, uh, do you have a preference on, on making stuff? Like, you know, are you more into making the table or like, you know, the display board to really showcase, you know, the game or the army or, or whatever? It depends on what the purpose of the terrain is. Okay. A good table for gaming on, yeah, it can be different for whether you game at home or whether you game at a club or whether you game at a store. A good table for demonstrating a game is vastly different because you want something that really gives a, a feeling of the environment, yeah, limited in size, forcing players to get close to each other rather quickly, speeding up demo games. Yeah, you want to design them so you can have access for people to playing, but also people looking over their shoulder. Say, so, I mean, the, what you can pull off with your own terrain at home and what you'll put in a store is vastly different. My teaching pieces go from teaching pieces to testing pieces. Yeah, and I have a shelf full of them where the frugal crafter in me, where it's like, I need some clump foliage for this. I'll just take it off this one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I'll, I'll share this with you too, Mel. I'm a big proponent of if you don't see it, don't paint it. Yeah, I'll agree on that. Within reason, uh, but no, I'll agree with that. Which is kind of rare, because I always have to paint my Space Marine legs in, in land speeders. So you're talking about, you know, table after table, just covered with the you know, GW plastic, and then the coming about of, you know, with the, the MDF terrain. Of those two, which do you prefer? Like, do you like the just the great detail that you can get out of the box of the plastic, or the hobby aspect of you're building the train and then you can make the still make the train kind of yours with the mdf oh i'm a hobby slut i love all of it <laughs> <laughs> that's what terrainers look like for so long for example hobby trees are wargaming trees are vastly underscaled yeah yeah, yeah they are yeah. actually yeah. And if you actually go and you put a table together with a realistic sized tree, people look at you like you're a freak. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here's one of his favorite games, the Drop Fleet Drop Zone. You know, Drop Drop Zone is a 10 mil scale. You know, what's one of the most important things to keep an eye on when you're trying to do terrain to a scale? Okay, when it comes down to a scale, obviously, yeah. Scaling is important. Now, it's not so, so much important with natural stuff because trees and rocks and rivers can be, you know, so wide, so short, there's no defined. Yeah, when it comes to details, man-made things, i.e. they'll be compared next to a model, 
yeah that's when the brain starts looking to see if things are the same size it's just it's another form of creation well, well the, i used to play minecraft yeah until i realized i cannot play minecraft i i, I logged up something like 200 hours in a month but no i've had to i have to I have to weed myself off computer games, yeah, because I do like them. So behind the scenes, when I'm looking at what I'm going to do, it's often like, right, how much work is there and how much content can I produce out of that that's useful? I mean, if you're the sort of person who spends 50 quid for a 400-page book of text so you can learn it to play your hobby, yeah, you tend to like your education, you tend to like your thinking stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Stupid me's is like, oh, yeah, wood absorbs paint. White paint is impossible to cover wood with. And so I'm sitting there like on the fly trying to figure out how to fix this white paint idea I have with something else so it doesn't look like crap. So I think it's important before we, we sort of, we go to top end and we force people out of the hobby by thinking, never going to get that do you remember the old mentality of you're not sharing your tips people have to earn that knowledge for themselves and where it used to be a lot more closed off than it is now i do with model painting but not so much terrain mm. i wasn't sure if it was universal i definitely remember it with model painting i'm very glad being, that that changed i think the reason being yeah is that within the hobby back in the old white doors when we first got in yeah yeah, there was an exclusivity about how you sort of... Because, I mean, there weren't painting guides. Mm. Yeah, or, or they were very, very simple. One of Bruce's questions was the balance between space and terrain and then scratch build between finished pieces and storage issues because within I'm an Air Force officer, so I move every two to three years. I always sort of go with the argument. The best tip I can give you is build it for your storage. Yeah, so look at what you've actually got yeah the store mm. what box you're going to store it in and then make your terrain to fit that i mean we could get away with a tardis better than you can get away with a star trek because everyone in britain knows what a tardis is do you know, do, what, do I mean? you know why you see the, the the star trek thing in renaissance fairs in america so much do you know why why you see that so often we I have no respect for anything because <laughs> <laughs> resin's one of those things that you don't find out if you've screwed up until 24 hours after you've screwed up and there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it afterwards. Yep. Yeah, it really that. is. It and then it's a pray to God. We have a couple of goals for next year. One of those goals is we'd like to get to four interviews in 2022. I already have one of those planned. We don't know when it's going to be yet because we need to sort out our timetable. Uh, and there is another one that's most likely going to happen early in the year. It's just a matter of, again getting the timetable right. So, fingers crossed, this is something that we definitely want to do, and hopefully we'll get the chance to do that. Alright, so we're talking about George, and George is not a low light this time, George is actually going to talk about something positive. (laughs) George is going to talk about one of the gaming companies that we talked about in our Aiming for the Indies. My highlight for 2021, um, we covered on Aiming for the Indies sometime in some episode that Bruce has the episode number of probably somewhere hidden in a notepad that I can't be bothered to remember. This week, we are looking, well this fortnight, we're looking at Uncertain Scenery, which is a really odd but really cool name for a company. 
I don't know. There's just something about that name I really like. Uh, these Why are make... they uncertain? Because th this stuff is certainly amazing. Oh, yeah. So Uncertain Scenery are an MDF terrain company. They make game board systems as well as regular buildings and stuff. I'm going to just concentrate on the 28 mil scale stuff today because that's most of the games that we focus on. Um, you've got like full on streets and tables and actual like um, underground segments to them and you could make multiple layer tables of this stuff which is just insane. I, I kind of like the idea that you can play on multiple levels like even underneath the table that you're playing on. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, a bit insane. I, uh... But cool i'm also just thinking about the you know the co the concept of like you know building a display board where it's like you have like some cohesive pieces oh, you can yeah. put together to display your army with too if we go into the actual buildings and terrain pieces i'm going to just look at industrial wasteland for a moment because that was my wrestling sim... name in high school well it, it's <laughs> a very similar i'm, I'm just sticking because it's a very similar kind of feel um you can definitely see the inspirations here, like the landing platform and so forth. Um, but it does, again, it feels like its own thing. It doesn't feel like it's just stolen out of any one particular... It just feels like it belongs in sci-fi. Uh, but it's not just all stuff that may or may not fit with a sci-fi world 40,000 years in the future. There's also some fantasy yeah. stuff. I quite like the castle tower, for example. Stained glass. Yeah. Windows. Ooh, castle. Yeah, I was just looking through those so, as well. I will say this: someone who can design uh, fantasy terrain out of MDF and have it look good is amazing. is amazing. Yeah. Be because you know, if you think MDF, you know. You've got, you know, 90 degree corners, you know, all the stuff, you know, modern building technology, not, hey, here's a castle tower or, you know, just the, the bridge, the small arch bridge that's under the uh, old world. Yeah. That right there, that's amazing because you're using a round, you know, curved organic shape with a material that wants to be 90 degrees and, you know, yeah. proper angles. Ooh, that windmill looks good, too. That windmill looks good. I was looking at the, the comm equipment, the, the satellite dishes, the little antenna. I actually just had that open myself. The satellite dish and the radar comms antennas are incredible. They do have they do have a 10 scale. 10 mil. Ooh, they do. They have an 8 to 10 mil scale section. Oh, oh hey, it's radar comms antenna, we destroyed buildings. I like the Huang Tower. It is kind of simple, but I do like it. In the, in the boards, they have very similar looking boards, but for the 8 and 10 mil. Yeah. So in theory, this sounds like, it's like, well, if I want to sell stuff at multiple sizes, I'll just do this. Um, yeah, just... As someone that's watched someone Scale try to do that, scaling stuff down is actually a lot harder than people think it is. Um, 
So there has there has to have been a lot of time that's gone into this. Um, I love the sunken motorway on page two, actually. I came across these guys a couple of weeks were ago. You, were you out on that? 8 to 10 mil. 8 to 10 mil under modular game board systems. Page 2. I've only got one page for 8 to 10 mil. Oh, you... it's because I'm in the... You're probably in a full view. There we go. Um, there we go. Now I'm in it. Now I'm in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 8 to 10 mil road board bundle. 4 foot by 4 foot. If you go to Perfect page 2, how can you not just... Under page two, there's a sunken motorway and a sunken motorway with bridge. Yeah, yeah, I found it. Well, I, I was just looking at the 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 very first thing is the four foot by four foot bundle. That's a you know 185 pounds. That's a drop zone board right there. Oh crap! Like, yeah, it is. I went straight past that. Right. Nice. It was it being all modular. Hmm. So many different options that you can build your board with. Yep. That's actually not a bad bit. That price for four by four. They even have destroyed buildings in a bundle. Yep. That are eight to ten mil. So yeah. And those look those look specifically for drop zone. Those those almost look like the drop zone buildings in terms of the, the size. Of the footprint of the buildings. Yeah, the, I'd say the only thing is you don't have any of the the height to you know help with the the feel of the game of like you know you've got short buildings, tall buildings, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, this that's is for if, so if a building's destroyed, you put this in place of that destroyed of that actual building that used to be there. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah. Because in this in the rules, if the building is destroyed, you have a I think it's one inch worth of rubble, and so. But, this is really cool. I, I I think the I think the biggest find on this I think is a, like that four foot by four foot board. Like having having some drop zone, having played a couple games drop zone, to have like a high end like at home setup, mm. that that thing is just so amazing to have. Yeah, and you just buy a couple other pieces just to mix things up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's like you buy a couple other pieces, and it's like you know you can like really change out the board. Like you add a comms tower, or you know you swap out a couple pieces. You put it in a bridge with some sunken stuff, and you know yeah. just really change the dynamic of your board. And plus, you just have a really really cool board. I mean, I yeah, I'm all about like you know if you can show off your stuff and have it look cool, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's a small little ah. Uh, terrain company called uncertain scenery and the thing that really caught my attention and it's a game i, I have but i really don't play that much um is to tell me tell me i can talk the 10 millimeter scale boards for drop zone commander uh for a very reasonable price in the realm of terrain you can build yourself a full four by four gaming surface for drop fleet commander and instead of just having flat roads and then just buildings on it it's a very three-dimensional there's drainage tunnels there's bridges stuff like that. it's more three-dimensional before you even get to the buildings um just look at the stuff at the and the prices i think this is one of the i i, I think he's doing terrain 
that's slightly better than some of the stuff that even TT Combat is doing for their own game. Um, I know that's, you know, not the, the easiest task to accomplish. You know, it's their game. It's their, you know, intellectual property that they've acquired and been working with. And for someone to come out and do something like this is, is truly amazing. Um, if you disagree with me on that, Lewis, I'll fight you straight up. Um, I, I think his stuff is, is really good and beats a lot of your things, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, the, the three-dimensional aspect with the bridges and tunnels. Um, he is in the UK, so for the UK listeners, I mean, this is a great option for you. Um, rest of the world, you know, you got to pay for shipping. A lot of the stuff you do have to pay for shipping. I mean, TT Combat, you have to, you know, do, what, a 150-pound order to get free shipping? It's not a small. I'm sure, you know, at some point, you know, there, there's that balance of, you know, what is enough for shipping versus what you're getting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think this guy is doing great work. Uh, I want to see him succeed. I want him to continue doing this. And quite frankly, I'd love to see him do more stuff. I mean, he does 8 to 10 millimeter. Um, he's got 15. He's got 28. But I think that, I think that 10 millimeter is just such a a small market and to do something so well in such a great and so well at that scale, I think is truly a great feat. Um, and like I said, for the, for the price he's charging for this, I mean, he's, he's competitive with, with the bigger companies too. And I, I wish him the best for 2022 and, and hope his business continues to grow and flourish. And, and I hope he continues to be creative and create more terrain because the stuff is just as beautiful. Uh, this is a segment that I decided to start doing, and I'm very happy that I can decided to do that. Uh, I think it's been a bit of a highlight for everyone. Um, most of the things I've come up with has been things that we've gotten very, very excited for. Um, I try to do one every episode. It's not always possible. Apparently, this one was actually added to our list by Michelle. I've been trying to figure out who discovered this one for a since we spoke about it, and I only found out that it was Michelle recently. So thank you, Michelle, because this has turned out to be one of the True Light highlights of the year. The last story from the hosts is going to be me again. My low light of 2021 is nothing about the industry itself. It's not even about the game that I'm going to be talking about itself. Uh, it's because of why I made the decisions to buy in, and ultimately why... I probably knew from the start that that was probably a bad idea. And that is me buying back into 40k to do the Blood Angels. So, we are starting with my first love of the 40k universe. But we'll come back to that particular comment a little later. Uh, people that are following our Twitter feed may have already cottoned on to what I'm talking about there. But anyway, this week is the pre-orders for the Blood Angels. There's already a couple of people out there that have done previews of the Codex. The Blood Angels are the preview for this week. Um, I think the big thing for me is when 40k moved into the Primaris stuff, there was a few people that were like, I don't know what they're doing. They were bringing them in at the expense of what made the game awesome, which was like the fluff. Because Blood Angels get Primaris, and then all of a sudden their Black Rage doesn't exist anymore. Is that... Then why bother playing them? That makes them boring. Yeah. Uh, they are 100% bringing them back. In story, the uh, Primaris are beginning to feel the Black Rage as well. So the hole it's designed to beat out the flaws 
has failed. And I think this is the first time it's happened, but um, you can have captains and lieutenants fall to the Black Rage now. Um, you can pay 20 points for a captain to fall, and 10 points for a lieutenant to fall. It kind of harkens back sort of to, um, I believe it was 3rd edition, where you had to roll to see how many of your people in each um, squad fell. And then you would build your black company, so your death company from that. We, I kind of briefly touched on this in our private chat, and for those following us on Twitter, will have noticed a little thing that I put out earlier. There is a game that I kind of go hot and cold with, almost on a weekly basis. No, it's not quite that frequently. Um, when Eighth Edition was announced for forty k, I was very tempted to get in on it. Because the Blood Angels looked awesome. In a way that I would have enjoyed playing them. But I hadn't touched my army in two and a half years at that point. And ultimately made the decision to sell my Blood Angels. Which is something that I swore at one stage I would never do. No longer how it was. But I'd gotten to a point at that stage where I was so bitter on the 40k game. That I just wanted nothing to do with it. Um... I don't entirely regret that decision. I do and I don't. It, it just... But I'm now in a situation... When the Necrons were announced, I was like, oh my god, I'm buying in. Okay, this is it. This is finally happening. I did the same thing about a year ago. I was 100% going to build a Catachan's army and then decided not to. Um, I'm... About... Let me put it, I, I missed out on a, on a full Indominus box for an actually good price. Like, a non-scalper price. Uh, by about 20 minutes. If I hadn't have been... the What stopped me is I was watching a review of a Blood Angels Codex. And if I hadn't have been watching that, I would have had the box and it would have been mine. So, initially when I was looking into... The, that purchase and the initial purchases that I made did happen in 2020 but it was very end of 2020 most of the footage that you were just watching there comes from the end of December uh, it might even be the last episode of the year no it's the second last episode of the year but those purchases continued into January and the actual realization of making the mistake really didn't happen until June I want to preface again None of why I consider this a low light has anything to do with Games Workshop or 40k as a game. This is all personal. The reason I got really excited about this is, to some extent, I've always regretted selling my Blood Angels army, and still do. With that initial army, one of the things that I'd always wanted to do was create some background lore for my army and make it my own. And I kind of started doing that and never really got anywhere with it. And pretty much the moment that I got excited for this, I went head deep into doing that lore. Um, and some of the lore is stuff that I'm genuinely proud of, even now. Um, but as part of my getting overexcited for that, I jumped in on those purchases way too quickly. I didn't do what I normally force myself to do, which is hold back and wait and make sure that this is a decision that I really want to do. 
especially when it comes to a large game where you have to buy a lot of models because not only is it a lot of hobby time it's a lot of money ultimately what ended up happening with this is i spent a f i spent a few hundred dollars buying into a game that not only did i not play but 95 percent of those purchases didn't get touched i ended up selling all of them new on sprue and traded them for somebody for some terrain that's ultimately what ended up happening here um that reason i had been tossing up whether i should continue it or not because it had been sitting there for six months untouched and part of me knew that at that point i just wasn't that interested in playing 40k the realization that i wasn't interested in playing 40k really killed the motivation for that the fact that the content that i tried to put out there uh didn't really get a lot of attention probably didn't help either but it is what it is um my initial thought was that i was essentially going to do with this what i ended up doing with conquest which was this is me getting into the game watch my journey uh but nobody really seemed to be interested in it and honestly it's probably because you know what there's a lot of 40k content out there already and the people that would be interested in watching it probably didn't even find it. What ended up happening is the owner of Knights of Dice put some feelers out. Because he had got really excited in... He'd managed to get himself some Space Marine kits. And was really enjoying doing stuff with them. And I've, I've, I've seen what he's done with the stuff that I traded to him. And looks really, really cool. Um... And he put the feelers out there if anybody had stuff that they weren't using that they wanted to get rid of in exchange for some terrain. And I kind of sat there and went, I'm not using this. And I'm probably never going to use this. I should jump on in, on this before it's too late. So I sent him a message and say, hey, I have this. Um, if you're interested, I'd be interested in a trade. I ended up trading everything that I'd purchased for a whole heap of their Pacific terrain uh, for a number of reasons, Wild West Exodus being one of them. Um, there is more than just that, but I kind of felt that they were... That they were buildings that I really liked and I didn't see a lot of. They're like the Pacific huts or Pacific houses where they're on stilts. And my theory was I could take the stilts away and they kind of looked like they fit in the Wild West, sort of. Um... Nowadays, I also look at it and go, hey, you know what? I could probably use this for Don't Look Back. Um, even though, like, even the biggest amongst them is a little bit too small, I can, you know, put a couple of them together and it'll make do. The reason that it's a low light, though, and again, I know I've said this twice now, but this has nothing to do with 40k itself. I'm not hating on 40k. I mean, if you want to take it that way and have a go, I will understand but it's not why I'm saying any of this. I still have some Eldar that I intend to do for hobby at some stage, and I still have some Catachans that I want to do for some hobby at some stage, but neither of those are things I'm going to jump headfirst into uh, to build, because I want to play 40k. What I will probably end up doing long-term is once the hobby on those is finished, maybe I'll pick up a couple of more Eldar when they're released next year. I can guarantee you if the Avatar of Cain is released, I am buying it. Uh, unless it turns out to be garbage, but I suspect that it's going to be really good. Uh, that's just a purchase that will happen. Um, ultimately, 
if I end up doing enough hobby and I have enough stuff that, hey, I could play a game if I wanted to, then I'd have the option of, you know, picking up a casual game here or there. But I can tell you wholeheartedly at this stage, unless there's a massive change in the way that the game's played, I'm just never going to go back to it. Um, and again, look, there's nothing wrong with the game. It's just not the game I want to play. I still have my Age of Sigmar army. I have my Skaven up there all nicely waiting for their first game. And they will get that game 100%. Um, Age of Sigmar, you, you can either love it or you hate it. But for me, the game itself works. And is one that I'm excited to play. I need to get off my butt and actually do that. So, that's definitely on my to-do list for 2022. And early 2022. Part of the issue with this, and one of the reasons why it's such a low light, is because I dived in so heavily, so quickly. I suspect that if I had have done the smart thing and just bought a box of this here, and just bought a box of something else there, then this, like, even if I hadn't have touched them, I, I probably wouldn't even be thinking about it. Um, but I allowed my excitement of creating the story get the better of me. And it led me to make purchases that I shouldn't have made. And that's the problem. 2021 has been a truly great year. I'm very, very proud of the content that we did. I'm very, very proud to see where we started from and where we've gone to. A lot of this has come from very, very hard grinding. Uh, we're very, very proud of what we've done. Next year, we should be seeing more videos from George and from Major Socks, as well as from me. Uh, next year, there is a game that I'm returning to. Uh, that will be documented in a similar way that Prepare for Conquest was. Uh, we still have the secret game coming in that there is one community that knows what it is. Nobody else has had it told to them yet. Um, and we're just going to have to see where things go. Hopefully, we can get to that four interview mark next year. As for the rest of it, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. Consider supporting us on Patreon. And hopefully next year, this will be even bigger and better. Thank you very much for listening to the audio version of Getting Tabled's Holiday Special. If you're listening to this, then it means that you're missing out on a number of gags from the video version of this. They wouldn't have worked in an audio form, therefore they've been removed for the audio portion. If you want to check that out, it's currently available on our Patreon, live. If you are not a Patreon, then it will go live to the rest of the world on New Year's Day. Right now, there's credits rolling on the video version, thanking everybody that's been involved, including those that allowed us to share this in their groups. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listening to Getting Table. Music used in this podcast was created by Eric Mathias at Sound Image Garden.